I mean, I couldn't be more thankful to have chosen this place and to play for Coach Norvell because, I mean, he really puts everything he has into this program. And, you know, if people can't see that, I mean, they're, they're blind because, I mean, that man literally does everything he can to, you know, put this program in a position to be successful. And, you know, what he demands out of everybody from the staff to, you know, the players, to, you know, everybody in the building. I mean, he sets the tone for this university. And I truly believe that just because, you know, what he brings on a day-to-day -day basis is just different. And, uh, we should be very grateful that we have them here and not somewhere else. So I truly believe that. Hey guys, it's Terrence Nan. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go Dose. Hey, what's up? This is Peter Ward, aka E Dub, in the house. So we're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go live, go Nose. Hi, this is Charlie Ward, and you're listening to Hear the Spear. Go Nose. This is Terrell Fuckley. You're listening to Hear the Spear, presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Dion Primetime Sanders. The great Dion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I, I could wake up to that greeting every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder, Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go Nose. William Barnon Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What's happening, guys? This is Logan Robinson from Here the Spear, presented to you by NoGamey.com. We're here live on a wonderful, fantastic Wednesday evening, and we've got a stellar of a podcast tonight. Not only do we have a great guest, but, man, we've got a whole lot to talk about. Out of nowhere, Nick Saban retires an hour Earlier, DJ Lundy says that he's ready to run it back with the Seminoles, leaving Deion Sanders in the cold in Colorado and coming back to play uh, for Florida State. But with us this evening, a very special guest. We've got Braden Fisk, Florida State defensive tackle, star player from last year's team. Crazy to say that now. This season has flown by, and I'm sure it has too for you, Braden. But ACC champion, AP All-American, second team ACC. Braden, been looking forward to having this interview for a while now but uh welcome man how you doing i'm doing great uh really appreciate you guys having me on uh, it's a cool opportunity you know i don't do a lot of these but uh no i'm uh, glad you guys reached out i'm glad i could be here you were telling us earlier in the production meeting you're down in miami so you went down playing the orange bowl then now you come back to tally maybe for a little yeah. bit then you're back down training until you get down to uh, the pro day in tally yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm more so like Fort Lauderdale area. I'm down at uh, Pete Bomarino's doing my training right now. Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, came down for the bowl game, flew back up, packed all my stuff up and, you know, came right back down here. I guess uh, could have planned that out maybe a little bit better. But uh, no, nah, it's been great so far. Uh, just started for day 10 today, day 9, day 10. Uh, yeah, it's going well, though. You know, so it's going to be a good process. Appreciate you coming on tonight, Braden. It's going to be a busy couple of months as you get ready for the NFL draft and you got the senior bowl coming up later this month in that first week of February. So just how excited are you for that opportunity and to be along some former teammates as well? Uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's super excited for it. I mean, it's something I, you know, I've been looking forward to for I mean years now. I mean, even when I was at Western Michigan, you know, I wanted that opportunity because I saw guys, you know, I played with that, you know, got to play in the senior bowl and, you know, how much it impacted them. And yeah, you know, just, it's a, it's a little different, no? Like, when you finally get that opportunity, you know, show yourself against the best of the best. And you know, I see myself as one of those guys. So, you know, I'm just ready to go there and compete and, you know, kind of show the rest of the world what I got. 
I'm going to wrap into the beginning of your career at Florida State, maybe a little bit before that. Start off with your relationship with Mike Norvell and maybe one of the biggest decisions why you wanted to play for Mike Norvell. We see him at practice. We see it on videos now. I think a lot of the fan base sees it, how much energy he brings, and you players mm-hmm. talk about it a ton. But what really went into picking Mike Norvell and the Seminoles? Oh, uh, I think, you know, one thing that stood out about Coach Norvell when I was going through the whole process, like, he was the first head coach that FaceTimed me, which, and when you're going, at least the way my recruiting process goes, when every school is hitting you up, like, all it takes is something to stand out, you know, like little things like that. And, you know, I think, you know, part of the game is like, you know, what sets you apart? And for whatever reason, you know, that set him apart. And that's just what kind of began the relationship to, you know, what it built on. But, uh, you know, it's funny, the first time he came to our house, I tell people this, like, me and him probably had a staring contest for maybe an hour and a half sitting across from each other. And, I mean, he's banging his fist on the table, giving me all the reasons why I should come to Florida State, and um, I don't know. He I, he matched the intensity that I was looking for going into my last year. You know, I mean, nothing was promised and nothing was guaranteed, but he said, you know, you come here and be you. You know, good things will happen, and and then once I got down to campus, you know, I kind of got to see everything. You know, who they were and what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for all the glitz and glam of some of the other places I've been to, but it just felt like a good fit. And I mean, apparently, it was a pretty good fit overall. Now that's all said and done, but. uh yeah, looking back, I mean, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity. I mean, the place changed my life. I mean, it was an unbelievable year. I mean, everything I was able to accomplish personally and then everything we were able to accomplish as a team, I mean, couldn't ask for much more. I mean, maybe a little bit more with the CFP, but, I mean, other than that, it was a pretty good year. You also got to play under position that. coach as synonymous, synonymous with Florida State as anybody in Coach Odell. What was for playing sure. for him like? Uh, it was awesome. I, I definitely got a lot of insight of just, you know, who he is and his coaching style was new for me. I mean, he, uh, you know, just the way he goes about it, he's real big on the fundamentals. And, you know, being a six-year guy, you kind of feel like you got it, the position figured out in a way. But, you know, learning from somebody like him who's been in it for so long, it kind of changed your perspective of a while. Like, you know, there's a lot more things you can work on and get better at. And, you know, for me being in my last year, I thought that was, you know, a really big deal is being able to learn from, you know, a coach that's been coaching that long and to be able to take it into, you know, my game. And it really elevated me. I mean, my game on the field, I think, it got better, you know, week by week, and that was just a testament to all the work that I was put in. How big was it for you to go from Western Michigan, moving to Florida State, and going right into that strength and conditioning program and working with Josh Storms and that that staff? Uh, you know, I think it was huge for me. I mean, I mean, I think you guys know I came in with the shoulder surgery, so you know, the first like four or five months I was there, I was kind of limited with what I could do. But you know, once we hit June, you know, I kind of hit the ground running with everything and. You know, I was lucky to have Coach Storms and, you know, the strength staff. Jackson Schaefer was a big part of the process as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just that process. I really had June, July, August to get ready for the season. And, you know, I, I felt like I was the most prepared I'd been in my whole career. And it really took three months, and, you know, we were able to hit the ground running. <laughs> I want to talk about Jared Verse a little bit here because I thought it was pretty unique. I think yeah. he said it in the spring to us that someone that could really match his energy that he'd bring to practice was you. How quickly did you two get along? Um, you know, I think I, I think at first we didn't hit it off right away. I mean, not that there was any like anything wrong. Yeah. It was just like we didn't really because I was in the training room all the time and like obviously kind of away from the team. But it was really summer workouts when I was letting them know. I was like, listen, hey, we're gonna get after it. And we kind of hit it off from there. Then as the season went on, I mean, I just became my guy, my go-to guy for everything. Like you know, we got to the point where we're just reading each other on the field. You know. He's out there making plays, playing off each other. You know, I see something he do, he sees something I do. We just play off each other and make it happen. But, uh, 
No, I was really fortunate to play next to Verse. I mean, I know we, we mean him joke around a lot, but at the end of the day, like, I think we made each other so much better as players just because, you know, when I was coming in, like, I felt like, you know, oh, I, I'm the best at what I do, and he obviously he, he's vocal about it. He thinks he's the best at what he does. And, you know, I think just being around that and, you know, just having somebody to match every single day and say, ah, this, this guy's not going to outwork me. And, you know, Tuesdays when we do our sprints, uh, for penalties, I mean, I'm right next. We're right next to each other. We're, I'm not letting him win. Not let me win. You know, whatever it may be. But uh, no, nah, I mean, I couldn't be more thankful to play next to him. Uh, you know, maybe I'll get another opportunity here at the next level. But uh, no, nah, it was uh, definitely special. It was definitely a special relationship. Your first game at Florida State was a top ten matchup against LSU. Yeah. Um, what do you remember from that night? You know, your debut at Florida State, and then going to the next week, the first time you step on the field in Doak Campbell Stadium with a sold out crowd. I know it was against Southern Miss, but those those first two experiences of the season, you know, what do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I think it was obviously surreal. I mean, just pre-game with the LSU game was the first time I'm you know, looking around, you know, just the amount of talent that was just walking around on the field. It's like, like, we're here. Like, damn, like it's it's really real, you know, and you know the NFL scouts walking around, all the media that's walking around, and like you can just feel like some, games like that, you can just feel it in the air, kind of just like it's a different energy of just like, like this is going to be a big time matchup. And uh, no, I mean, it was awesome. Now, obviously, getting a dope uh, the next week, I mean, just the first experience of being in the stadium, maybe a little bit jittery, just like, wow, you know, we're finally here. Because I remember walking out on the field when I came with my official visit and hearing the war chant, it's like, damn, this could really be my home, you know. And, you know, sure enough, when it you know all came to fruition, I got to be out there. I mean, it was so special, so, so special. You're one of the select few to race Mike Norvell and practices before they yeah. begin, Braden. I mean, Verse is all talked to it. We've seen him on Twitter, Trey Benson too, Jordan Travis as well, earlier in the season saying that he'd race anybody, but Jared's not involved in that. But you race with Mike Norvell. What's it like <laughs> racing? There's definitely trash talk afterward too. We got it on video. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, well, that, I mean, that's kind of where it started the spring when I couldn't do anything. I was, I was in a green jersey for the whole spring, so – I was like, how can I find a way to, you know, do something, compete with something? And I was kind of like my way to kind of get my foot in the door. I'm like, oh, this guy can do this, you know? And I was like, well, I had seen him run a couple practices like early. I was like, huh, like I could beat him. Like there's no way he's that fast. So sure enough, I was like, oh, let's get after it one day. And then kind of just became a thing. And then we took it into camp, but hey, boy's getting old, man. His knees, <laughs> we could, uh -oh. I couldn't keep, I couldn't keep stressing him before practice, but, uh, no, I mean, I think it's for him. I mean, it's a tone setter. I mean, for him to do that every single day, I mean, that's rough. There's some mornings you get out there, you know, week nine, 10, 11, late in the season, you're like, yeah, it ain't happening this morning, coach, but he's still getting after it. I think he slowed down a little touch at the end there, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely bloody. slowed down a little right, bit. Right. I thought so too. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think your record was? You think you got a 50 50? Did you Ooh. get the edge on the overall edge? I, I definitely had the edge, no? It was, cl gotta... it was close. It was close. I don't know. I know I there was there was definitely one stretch where you got them three or four straight times. Yeah, I was going to say, then, oh, yeah, that's when they started hit, sending hits on me. They started grabbing me before. Yeah, I didn't forget about that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, too, it probably warmed you up pretty well whenever y'all were at Clemson this year. We were there for that one covering it. And D'Lo, maybe take us through that play and what went down. But D'Lo goes in with the blitz, absolutely rocks Klubnik. Mm -hmm. And then the ball kind of gets bobbled there. But if you want to, you could just say you were tossing off to uh, D'Lo. It was already planning everything, <laughs> tossing off to him. Right. and <laughs> doing depends, it. Take depends us through that what play, angle. man. Yeah, no, depends what angle you're looking at. <laughs> if you're looking at the end zone <laughs> angle, it looks like a bobble. If you get the you know broadcast, eh, maybe I flipped it. But uh, no, I think. 
you know, just the moment of the play and like the timing of the game where we were at. I mean, I, that, I still to this day, that's one of the biggest plays I've been a part of. Just like knowing the situation and how it just always. Picture of the convoy of all of us is running down to the end zone again. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's so special. And just to be just for that group and with how much that defense grew just from that game alone. I mean, I think that kind of I don't want to say it set the tone for the rest of the season, but it definitely uh, kind of boosted us to the performances that we had further on. You know, I thought it was awesome. So awesome. What was that atmosphere like? Like, how did it feel during the yeah. game? Because it was an open press box for us. So it was, I mean, it was loud as hell. Oh, but yeah. for you guys to make not only that big play, but then to win it in, in overtime, what was that feeling like? I mean, surreal. I mean, everything this season was just absolutely surreal. But just that moment, that that was like the turning point. I don't maybe over that hump because I know like going into the game, there was – you know, Clemson was how whatever the record, eighty-two and one or eighty-two and two at home in the last ten years, and Florida State hadn't won there and however long. Like all those things were on our back, and you know, we hadn't beat them yet. All this stuff, and I think just to get over that hump is kind of what you know, you know, you four and zero going because that was another thing. September, you know, can they go four and zero in September? Once we did that, I was like, you know, going into the bye week too, like that was huge for us. And you know, just the moment itself, especially you could tell how much it mattered to the guys that have been there a long time and really been through the you know the dark days of the uh, Florida State. But no, it was huge. I thought, uh, I mean, that's kind of what propelled us. You know, did you kind of learn throughout this season too, just rivalry wise, how much the team as a whole, you could probably see it in the administration as well, but. Who the biggest rival was? I mean, this is just your first year, and it's intriguing to ask someone that was just here for one year which team really stood out to you that you're like, damn, I actually grew to really actually not like this team that we're about to face. Oh, it was Florida. I mean, Miami's a big one too, but I think Florida, like, especially like in Odell's room, it's Florida. He doesn't he doesn't play around with them Gators, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, yeah, I mean, you can feel that too. Just even when we're driving down there, like pulling up to the stadium, and they got people in the rows, you know, waving their flags, you know all around the bus and stuff. So there's definitely some hostility there. And I think, I mean, between them and Clemson, that was the two loudest stadiums I've ever been in. I mean, I think they were playing that Tom Petty song. I got, I got pretty loud there at uh, the Swamp. But uh, I was sick, sick environment. But, hey, they had to come out with that dub real quick, you know. Mm-hmm. This team overcame so much adversity. Um, four double-digit comebacks throughout the year. You know, we talked about Clemson. We talked about, yeah, talked about Clemson. It happened again at Florida. Um, did it against Duke and Miami as well. What is it about this group where, you know, maybe when things are going wrong in the first half or at some point during the game, you guys never panic and then still figure out a way to come out with the win? Huh. Yeah, no, I didn't even – when you said that, I kind of caught me off guard. I didn't even realize we had double-digit comebacks. I mean, with our team, it never really feels like that. Like, especially like, the best example I can think of is that Florida game. Like, even after, you know – they're dry or Florida, you know, they score, they get the safety, you know, they're out, whatever the score was. Like, I remember once we got that first score, like we were on the bench, like, yeah, they messed up. It's over. Like that's the last thing they're getting. And, and I think that was just kind of the the mentality of our team all year was that like we never felt like we were out of it. And I think the biggest thing is because we're built for full games. We're built for four quarter games and, you know, whatever comes after that overtime doesn't matter. Like, there's a lot of teams out there that are great first half teams, but once the second half comes, you know, one, are you in shape and two, are you mentally prepared for that? And, I think that's where we were, you know, had the advantage all year, especially like up front. We were able to rotate guys, you know, and eventually just wear offenses out because we could just keep going and going and going and sending guys at you. Um, yeah, I think it made a big difference. And 
mean, clearly so. I mean, 13 0 speaks for itself, but uh, yeah, that's no, huge. Um, I want to ask about a guy that we didn't get to see much of at all this year, and that's Daryl Jackson in your defensive tackle room. Oh, yeah. Just kind of take us through a player like that that comes in, doesn't get the waiver from the NCAA, and yeah. is just kind of caged up and doesn't get a chance to play until Georgia. But, I mean, that after a while, you've got to have a couple games under your belt before you get in, into a rhythm there. But yeah, take us through sure. Daryl Jackson, what maybe FSU fans should be looking forward to going into next season with him. I mean, if you just look at Daryl, you know, all right, this guy is serious. I mean, he one is, I mean, fantastic play. He's going to be awesome. I mean, his just the growth that he had from the spring when I saw him to fall camp to the end of the season, I mean, he's he's legit. I mean, he's going to be a serious player this year. And I think, you know, pairing him up with Josh now in the middle, I think it's, it's going to be a nasty duo. And, you know, all the rest of the guys that got coming in now, I mean, you know, he's a serious player. And the thing about Daryl is, you know, he wants to be great. When you compare up that, you know, natural ability compared with, you know, the mentality to want to be great, I mean, it's a special combo. And I'm super excited for what he's going to be. And uh, don't be surprised when it blows up in, uh, you know, September or August, whenever you guys kick off from week one or week zero there in uh, Ireland. I think uh, I think Daryl's going to be a name to know going into next year for sure. I know he was on the other side of the ball, but can you just talk about playing with Jordan Travis and yeah. um, his his leadership at Florida State and what you were able to see him bring, you know, on and off the field throughout this year playing with him? Yeah, no, I mean, JT's the guy. I mean, I, just the what he brings to the table and just you know, for, as a leader, but just like as a player, I mean, everything like guys. I mean, he's he's you naturally you know gravitate toward towards him. I mean, he's a natural leader and. You know, when he's in the game, like, there's never a fear. It's like, oh, like, JT's got us, you know. It's like he's going to make a play. Like, there's usually no doubt about it. And, I mean, just, you know, what he's able to do on the field is so, so special. And, you know, I hope people didn't take for granted what he was really able to do because, I mean, that's a special, special player. I mean, with his legs, with his arm, I and mean, everything he can do out there is, you know, you know, pretty extraordinary. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's super unfortunate what happened to him. I mean, it still doesn't even seem real sometimes just because, you know, the situation. But, I mean, obviously, we all have his back and, you know, with everything going on. But, no, I mean, truly, truly awesome player. I mean, he should go down in the history books of Florida State because, I mean, the impact he had on this team. And, I mean, I, I say, I mean, he was the reason. Like, he, he was the heartbeat of this team and, you know, why we're able to do what we do. And we just, you know, we got in line. We made it happen with him. After his injury, what was that mindset, especially heading into the ACC championship against Louisville, not, especially with the uncertainty to Tate Rodemaker as well? There was some, some rumblings that week, and then you guys go out and have – what was it, 14 tackles for loss, seven sacks, 10 pass deflections. What was that mindset, and then what was that game like in Charlotte? Uh, you know, I think that was kind of just the buildup of, you know, what our defense was ready for. And I think, you know, even before the J-Trap injury, I think our defense was playing at a pretty high level. And, you know, I think the more we grew, the more we got comfortable together and think, uh, you know, things just started to, you know, keep popping off. But, yeah, there was a sense of, like, all right, we got to take this game over. Like, we knew – Obviously, the circumstances going in, but it never worried us. I and mean, I think it was honestly something that we were ready for, something that we wanted We wanted to have that. We wanted it to be on us, and, you know, we were fortunate enough to get that opportunity in the ACC championship. And it was – I mean, it was it took a village. It took everybody on that field that night, no matter offense, defense, special teams. I mean, everybody played a part in that game and uh, paid off. I mean, we got a ring from it, so it was pretty special. You yeah, mentioned that. that. You mentioned so how great. well the defense was playing uh, – beforehand but then after Jordan went down I mean it went to a completely different level I think it was 37 or 38 possessions you guys only surrendered one touchdown you know during those 
final three games um, after he went down. So just was there a conversation with the defense whenever that happened? Like, how did you guys get into that sort of rhythm? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit, but you know, I think it just really starts with the way we practice. I mean, we really get after it. I mean, like, we're in full pad, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and there are scout periods where we're, you know, really have the time to dial in the details. I mean, we do. I mean, guys hold, held, or hold each other accountable and, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make sure we get it we get it right out there before we get on that field for game day and I think you know there's a veteran presence that you know when we stepped on the field it was like all right like we're getting it done like it, it wasn't an option you know it wasn't you know like even when they got down to the you know inside into the red zone it was like all right like this is it this is all they're getting you know field goals the minimum or field goals the maximum whatever like that's it and, you know I think that's kind of the mentality we carried all year and uh, no, I, I, it was so special to be a part of. Like just the, the guys, the buy-in, you know, the want to be great, you know, the will that was showed out there. I mean, it was, it's a special, special defense. Also, I don't know if you've talked about it, but what happened to your nameplate in the ACC championship game? Because I wasn't there at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was at some point in the first or second quarter, my whole jersey got ripped, you know, down the arm. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, we, like, I kept coming off the sideline, and our equipment manager, Jason, was trying to, you know, tie it with a shoelace oh. and keep it together. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we, we couldn't hold it. When I went in for halftime, just threw the backup jersey on. But, yeah, it was torn. I mean, all down the side was torn down. But, uh, yeah. And I kept seeing people asking why I, was, why I wasn't why yeah. wearing it. So, yeah. Oh, well. Not a lot of holding calls that night from what I remember. Yeah, not a lot of holding calls all year. But, yeah. That's, that's, yeah oh, <laughs> I was man. watching them game one, two, three, four, and five, those early parts of the season. I was like, uh, 55 is getting held. 55 is getting held. And that's the name of the game, though. If you talk to Odell, yep. it's your fault getting held so yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah can you tell us a little bit too so in this orange bowl you weren't playing but a, a big time veteran was with D'Lo can you tell us yeah. about him as a player and more importantly maybe as a person because he's someone that has stuck around and saw this build into what yeah. Mike Norvell is trying to do and reach these college football playoffs like you guys had deserved this season yeah. but you know Kalen DeLoach going back to that Clemson game probably the the biggest play of the season, but just as a person too, behind the scenes for listeners yeah. to hear. I mean, yeah, for those that don't know, I mean, Delo's our guy on defense. I mean, he's, he's the voice of the defense. I mean, him and Tatum, I mean, they, but Delo's been the guy that's been here. I mean, he's been through it. He's kind of like the building block of what this program has become. And, you know, you can see, you know, how emotional he was about, you know, just his time being here and, you know, how much it meant to him and how much it meant to leave this place in a better place than he found it. And, I think it just speaks volumes of who he is as a person. And, you know, obviously it showed on the field, you know, what he was able to put out there. I mean, I think he was easily one of the best players in the conference by far. And, uh, I mean, that showed week in and week out. And it started with his preparation. And, you know, honestly, you know, how he demanded, you know, excellence around the guys around him. It made me play better. It made Jared. I mean, everybody on the defensive line played better because, you know, you're playing behind a guy like that who's sacrificing everything for it. And, uh, you know, to see him go out there one last time and play for the team, I mean, it's huge. You know, I think – it would have been nice if we could have all been out there with him. We all have our own situations, but I mean, uh, he is uh, at least in my time being here. I know there's a lot of you know excellent players that have been through Florida State, but I mean, he's he's one he's one of those guys up there that you know needs to be in that conversation of just you know one of the building blocks to something special here. You came to Florida State to play in big games, and we've talked about this ACC championship that you absolutely dominated in. Yeah. Um, nine tackles, four and a half tackles for loss. Three sacks. I personally thought you should have been named the MVP of the game that night. What was it like going on that stage in front of the entire country? And I mean, the whole defense did, but you yeah. specifically just dominating. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, for one, I mean, it was just the opportunity to play in that game is huge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't think anything special. I think it's just being consistent. I think that's something I've said, you know, over time is just I told the story of, you know, I didn't I got the week eight, week seven or week eight of this year and didn't even have a single sack. And, you know, just you know, staying the course, talking to young guys, saying, hey, like, listen, like, just because you don't have it at this point doesn't mean you can't get five more or whatever. And, you know, from week eight on, I ended up with six, seven sacks. And I think, you know, that was just a testament to just staying on the path. You know, I didn't change up anything in my daily routine at the stadium. You know, still getting the rehab, still getting my film in, still getting everything done. And, you know, not, not changing up my routine and just trusting the process. And, you know, I think the things like that come in bunches. Once you get one, it kind of starts to trend. And uh, it's kind of what happened for me. And then in that game, it's just – you know, you, when opportunities present themselves, you got to be ready for the moment, and that's something I've been, you know, preparing for and uh, just kind of, you know, speaking into existence for a long time, writing it down, you know, thinking about those opportunities, and once they came about, you know, I was able to make the most of it, and it was a pretty special night for sure. Someone that doesn't get a whole ton of love, and he's gar he garnered a lot this year, and he should have gotten more last year, but your defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller, <laughs> For sure. Yeah. What was he like being being coached by him this year specifically? And you know, he's someone that doesn't get a whole ton of the love, but what a damn season for him as a defensive coordinator for Florida State, and specifically sure. that game plan against Louisville and Charlotte. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, he, I mean, he's a tough coach. I mean, he coaches hard. He demands excellence out of us, and, uh, and I think you know, week in and week out, no matter the situation, it was always get better. And, striving to be a better defense and you know we'd see our weekly goals and we'd be off by a couple and yeah we're gonna get them next week and you know sure enough you know we, we accomplished things like that but yeah no to play for coach Fuller was huge I mean he played a big part in my recruitment to come down here and uh you know I just think uh yeah it was a really special play for him I think he's somebody when I talk about consistent that's him I mean every single day he's ready to go uh, ready to go and he's ready to coach us and he obviously put us in really good positions this year and you know we had a lot of talent on that field but he drew up the way to make that talent make plays and you know sure enough it worked out pretty well hey we've got to ask you this question but can you give us your thoughts on Florida State being snubbed from the college football playoff and then also why did why did you decide to stick with the team you know through the orange bowl when guys decided to opt out or transfer yeah. or you know whatever happened yeah i mean Obviously, being snubbed was terrible. I mean, it sucked, and, you know, it kind of went away for a little bit. Then once, you know, all the games got played this past uh, week and weekend, uh, it kind of brought it all back. Like, damn, like, maybe we should have really been in there, you know. And, yeah, I mean, it sucks. The worst part about it is, you know, we'll never get to really know, like, what could have happened. And, you know, it's unfortunate the way it played out. Uh, just that that team is never going to be together again is, you know, what hurts the most. Uh, you know, from coaches, staff, you know, everybody moves on at some point, and, you know, that, that team, the exact way it was in that roster will never be the same again. And you just can't help but think, like, yeah, like, what if? You know, like, what if we would have got in? And I think just the opportunity for everybody, you know, to get that opportunity to play on that stage in that environment, I mean, it would have been huge. It, I mean, that's life-changing, you know. And, and to miss out on that, it just it really sucks. It's really unfortunate. But it's easy, it's easy to say there's greater things in store, which, you know, I think there is. But it's just, you know, in that moment, that timing, uh, it's kind of unfortunate. But... Yeah, with the Orange Bowl, uh, you know, I think it was important to me to be with the team just because, you know, I we made it this far. You know, we, we, we accomplished so much. And, you know, I was I really love the people I was around in the building. You know, I, 
I didn't want to just end it there. I didn't think it was right to end it, uh, you know, just after the ACC championship. And, you know, we didn't get what we wanted. I didn't feel like it was right to just drop everything and leave. But, um, yeah, I mean, we the attempt was to play in the game. I mean, my, I was battling an injury, and, you know, we were on a, you know, day-to-day basis, you know, where we could get to. It was a game-time decision. And, you know, ultimately it just didn't end up being the right decision for me to go out there and play just based off of, you know, my status and, you know, it's a shame because, you know, I think people interpret that as the wrong way, but it's just an unfortunate situation that happened. And, you know, just overall, the month of December kind of just was all over the, all over the place. And, you know, it's, it sucks, you know, that's the way such a great season ended up having to finish out. But, uh, you know, I think uh, we can still be grateful for the fact that, you know, it all happened the way it did. And, I mean, if you look back just three or four years ago where this program was to where it is now and, you know, what Coach Norvell and the staff and, you know, the university has been able to build around here is it's really special. And I think that that's what should be remembered. I mean, I, I get the bowl game didn't play out the way it should and in a way it kind of was kind of embarrassing the way it played out. But, you know, I think, you know, we can, we can be proud of what we were able to accomplish, though. And I think everybody should be proud of, you know, what, where we were and where we've gotten to to this point. And, you know, I think, you know, where we're going is going to be even more special, especially with who we got running this program. I think uh, everybody should be pretty excited for that. I was going to say, too, after that Orange Bowl, hearing the speech from Magnervell, really emotional there, too. And I'm sure it was, too, whenever you had to learn the news about not getting into the college football playoff. Yeah. Um, just what was his message to you guys? We saw the video a little bit. Um, the cinematic recap that Florida State puts out every week. But, you know, how was that feeling like being in the locker room? I know that y'all went up to the front, too, and were around uh, the other veterans and seniors. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it's just tough. I mean, it was tough to hear, especially coming from somebody that, you know, literally put their life into this program, you know, hear him speak about, you know, how much he cares about this program, which he tells us all the time. But, you know, when that was kind of everything kind of set in like, wow, this is going to be the last time a lot of us are in this locker room and there's a lot of faces missing and it just felt a little off altogether. And, but I mean, I couldn't be more thankful to chosen this place and to play for coach Norvell. Cause I mean, he really puts everything he has into this program. And, you know, if people can't see that, I mean, they're, they're blind. Cause I mean, that man literally does everything he can to, you know, put this program in position to be successful and, you know, what he demands out of everybody from the staff to, you know, the players, to, you know, everybody in the building. I mean, he sets the tone for this university, and I truly believe that just because, you know, what he brings on a day-to-day basis is just different. And uh, We should be very grateful that we have him here and not somewhere else. So I truly believe that. <laughs> I'm going to say, I've only got two more. First off, we ask this for everybody that comes on here that definitely is living in Tallahassee, which you did for a, sh- for a short period of time, but – Favorite food spot to go to? If you found one that you were there repetitively throughout your small time in Tallahassee, got to. Uh, I would frequent Table Twenty Three a few times. I was kind of like, "Wow, you're little, classy." A little oh. chill spot, you know. I like, uh, yeah, it's it a good vibe out there. I like sitting up the patio out there. It's, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my vibe. I like it. Out there. That's awesome. I we I would have never. Well, I can expect you. I can expect you. Yeah, but we've never had a. It's, it's wait, definitely you, a player what you, now. What do you pin me as? You pin me as a recess guy. What, what's going on? <laughs> now you're an older guy. Recess right, is for the freshmen. Me? All right, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen Jared up there at recess. We've seen Jared. Hey, man, not me. You can see me with him there. <laughs> That's hilarious. The NIL must be hitting. <laughs> Table 23, yeah. Hey. Uh, I was about to say, table 23 <laughs> ain't cheap. 
The Whataburger's right next door, too, if you need a little snack on the way home. Um, that's right, exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good area. That's where I uh, was living for like five years in Tallahassee was Midtown. So you'd have a good – you'd have Whataburger right there, but you got Table 23 um, and, and, if, and Brass Tap as well, just a few – um, blocks over to a good spot for some beers been down there a few times i did want yep. to ask uh you obviously made some really good memories on the field this season but off the field you know what are some of the things that you're going to remember the most uh yeah i mean i think just the short time i was here the relationships i was able to build with guys i mean especially in the d-line room i think when I, you know when i first came in i was kind of i was a little sheltered just because i you know one i was injured and two i was like man i'm a six-year player like in my house, like, I'm getting too old for this. I got to go through a whole another year of college football, which, you know, earlier I had my sights kind of set on, like, oh, you know, hopefully I can, you know, go to the NFL and start that that journey. But, you know, just what I was able to build with guys, it's like, I mean, I made relationships that are going to last forever, not just with players, but with staff. I mean, just everybody. I mean, it was super special. And, you know, I was able to build some really tight, you know, tight-knit relationships with people. And, and I think that's what I'm going to miss the most is just, you know, how special it was to be in Tallahassee for that year. I mean, I made made a ton of friends, and I think uh, something I'll cherish forever. Definitely be a place I can go back to for the rest of you know my life for games and whatnot. So that that'll be the best part. I'll end it off on this for you, Braden. Appreciate you hanging on here with us for how long it is. But uh, now now it's on to stage three here. It probably feels like you're off to the NFL. <laughs> Um, how does that feel? You're smiling now, but how does it feel? I'm sure the training right now isn't easy. It's somewhat different than what you're doing with storms, but how excited are you for this opportunity? What are your plans? I know we talked in production meeting about pro day, but you've also got uh, some other things too that you've got coming up as well. Yeah, no, it's uh, super exciting. I mean, it's kind of surreal now that it's here. I mean, you know, you spent so long in college and now you kind of feel like, uh, kind of like you're freelancing of, you know, there's so much happening that's kind of out of your control of like, you're just, playing like a waiting game, waiting on your opportunities. I mean, I have a senior bowl coming up uh, the end of January, first week of February here, and then I'll have the combine the end of February. So there's going to be opportunities, you know, to display uh, everything I've been working towards. And I'm just I'm super stoked for it. I think, I mean, it's everything I've been working for. I mean, all my goals are starting to, you know, starting to come true and you know, just ready for these opportunities. So I think it's super special. And I think uh, Florida State was a big boost uh, getting me into that position. Is there, is there any kind of play style? It's an easy question to ask, but is there someone that you really like watching in the league right now or someone that retired before anybody? That... Uh, you know, I mean, I think, like, the easy answers are, like, the J.J. Watts and stuff. But somebody I watch a lot now is uh, Sack Sealer for uh, the Miami Dolphins. He was uh, a Ferris State guy back in the day uh, in college. And I, I know kind of – yeah, I, we have a similar game style. He's real versatile. He can play up and down the line. And, you know, he's really good in the run-pass game. Really underrated right now. I feel like I say that and people are like, who the hell is this guy talking about? But if you check him out, number 92 for the Dolphins, he's a stud. I like it. I like it. And then if, if anything happens and, and you're over there with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, hey, I'll need a jersey. I wouldn't and, mind it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. Pit. <laughs> uh, we've had some guys in the trenches. Cam Hayward calls it, but I don't think he's retiring anytime soon. But there's another guy on the outside, TJ Watt, that is, oh yeah, kind of got that motor like you do, which well, is going to be really intriguing for scouts coming up here for whenever they get to watch you at the combine. A lot of guys, man, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, Jared Verse, absolute you, absolute freaks at this combine. It's gonna be fun <laughs> to watch some of your teammates, man. For sure, no, it's gonna be a good group. 
Yeah. But Braden, appreciate you for staying on here for as long as you have, man. Uh, definitely. We'll have to get in touch too, maybe down the road when you're in the league and, and get you on and get your thoughts too about what's going on in the NFL, but sensational season. Uh, you really uh, gave a lot of respect to the program when you're out there and everything. And, and I think a lot of fans are going to miss you going into this next season, but appreciate you a ton, Braden. Hey, thank you so much. This is a pretty cool opportunity. I appreciate you guys. And, well, to the Florida State fans, thank you so much. You know, I, I'm not a big social media guy. I don't put a lot of posts out there, but you know, I'm really, truly, am grateful for the time I got to spend at Florida State. I mean, it was life changing, and you know, it was a place I'll always be able to call home. Thanks, Braden. You got to do more of these, man. You were extremely well spoken, and you okay. definitely got you got the personality for it for sure. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. It'll work at the combine and the uh, coaches' <laughs> meetings in there. It'll do well. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Hell yeah, man! Have a good evening. Best of luck with training. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Great interview there with old Braden Fisk. I knew he'd be a great interview. He's uh, just kind of getting his personality when we saw him. Kind of was a little quiet, like he said at the beginning, but just seeing him there racing against Mike Norvell and came out of his shell a little bit more. And then definitely if you're trying to kind of trash talk a little bit with Jared Verse, you got to he can't be silent and he can't be quiet on your own. So uh, it was really fun to watch, at least in my little bit that I saw in practices and then end game and seeing him on the sideline there, get that last sack uh, against Louisville. He's a special player, but I think his motor is like a different animal, kind of like on the Jared verse level that you don't get a lot of football players. And that was one big reason that Florida State liked him so much. I mean, just relentless pursuit, never giving up on plays. You know, that was one reason they saw Jared Verse, him chasing down that Syracuse running back. That's something they look for, hustle, never quitting. And you got that in Braden Fist this year. So to see what he brought to Florida State, you know, on and off the field and the impact that he was able to make in just one season, um, how he performed in that AC championship game, he's going to be a guy where, you know, it was a short chapter in Tallahassee, but fans are going to remember him for a long time. Well, we need to jump into things because there's quite a bit to talk about. Uh, Florida State is rolling in every which way in the transfer portal and having some announcements of guys returning. Like when, when the season really isn't over. <laughs> I, I want to say like now football season maybe ends in February this time. It, it is just extremely busy. How many posts are we putting out on a daily basis, you think, right now, Lou? articles i mean we're like 12, in the 12 11, to 15 12 range. a day yeah my hands are bleeding <laughs> blistered <laughs> you're gonna need like every day for hours you're icing them <laughs> tell the wife you need ice you need ice at four o'clock every day it, it's absolutely ridiculous like it's hard to keep up so at least here on this show on a weekly basis, we're going to try to get you caught up. I think that's the best way that maybe you would want to listen to us now is, is there's just 80,000 things going on. So we're going to try to take you through everything so you don't miss out on nothing. Uh, let's start off with recent news, really. Let's talk about DJ Lundy. Uh, this is massive. This is massive for all Florida State fans. This has been kind of a roller coaster ride of a December going into January for Lundy. But he committed to Colorado and Deion Sanders there for a little bit, posting tons of pictures, everything. And then as of today, he announces that he's returning to Florida State. I'll bring up his tweet here in just a second. But, gentlemen, 
we were talking about it. This linebacker room needs experience. He needs this kind of talent. And he would have been leading that room if he were to return in 2024. And sure enough, we've got DJ Lundy back in Florida State's defense going into next season. FSU just picked up the um, top transfer linebacker on the market in DJ Lundy. <laughs> nice. And they picked him up from themselves. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a win for Andy Shannon, right? It's I, I don't know. I don't need, I don't know what it called the transfer portal. You got to love it. Right. I mean, this is just, it's insane. Um, Lundy committed to Colorado. Like you said, Logan back on Christmas day. And, you know, at this point, I think a lot of people had kind of just forgotten about him and, you know, thought it was over. He was moving on to Deion Sanders in Colorado. Florida state even had two linebackers on campus for official visits this past weekend. And then today, bang, Lundy is now coming back to Tallahassee. So, um, it's a huge boost for Florida State's defense to get him back. You know, right now, the before Lundy made his decision, the most experienced linebacker on the roster was redshirt sophomore Omar Graham Jr. So um, we knew before he announced his decision to transfer that Lundy had a chance to play a huge role for Florida State next season with uh, Kalen Deloach and Tatum Bethune moving on. So for them to get him back, and I think they're going to continue to, you know, um, check on options in the transfer portal, see if there's any fits there. It's it's massive for Florida State with what they've done on the defensive front and in the defensive backfield over the last couple of days. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, there's so many jokes, me at the forefront of them, saying Florida State's going to be running a four zero seven next year because they just didn't have any experienced linebackers. At least now they can run a dime package with at least one linebacker and DJ Lundy. But, yeah, this is huge. They absolutely needed a guy with some experience, and especially keeping a guy that already has experience in the system. You're not going to have to rely on a guy or two guys that are trying to pick up the system to play for just one year. And it's just absolutely massive for this defense. And it definitely answers some questions going into next season. They still need to get, I think, at least one more linebacker to really round out that defense. But it's looking a lot better than it was even when we were on this podcast a week ago. And the biggest thing is you keep your fullback. Yeah. That's right. That Lundy package yeah. is back. AJ Duffy is not, though. So hopefully the broadcasters can, can get that figured out. Yeah. It's really hard to figure out the difference. And these two guys, DJ Lundy said, forever a FSU Seminole appreciation to all the schools who reached out, but this is where I'm destined to be. Start to finish with the teammates and coaches I love. Hashtag null-blooded, hashtag keep climbing with the right way of doing keep climbing as Mike Norvell does there. So pretty interesting graphic too. Florida State definitely made it, but it says the climb continues finish what we started so made a graphic specifically for him and you know Florida State doing what they need to do and in, in that defensive side of the ball to fix some holes and I do think like you said BZ another guy back there with some experience would help as we try to as you start to develop Nicholson some more too as he got some playing time this year Omar Graham Jr. Uh, posted on Instagram I believe of him having to go through an injury, something that we'll monitor as we go into the rest of the off season. But, um, you know, just a linebacker room that deeply needed a guy like this to come back. And I'm a big fan of DJ Lundy. He's made strides every season. Um, but you know, a guy that's dive that's dialed in and, and to Adam Fuller's uh, scheme is big for something going into next season. Where do we want to go here now? Do we want to go into some transfer announcements? Sure. All transfer seven of them. Or how many of those? Eight. Eight. Oh. 8,500 <laughs> of them. Uh, let's start off with, I'll 
lead some of it into you, Dilu, but I'm going to just start off, too, with a big one that we were talking about yesterday uh, with West Virginia defensive end. Tommy Wah. Tommy Wah. Dorey Jawa. All right. <laughs> Tommy Wade, TD, TD, and SL. No, I'm just kidding. And then, anyways, West Virginia transfer, TD, and Oregon State defensive end, Sione Lolo Haye. Kind of like my nickname, Lolo. So, Lolo. So, yes, there, there have been a couple more names that are hard to pronounce that have committed to Florida State, but these are two huge ones for FSU. Um, Tomiwe comes in with multiple years of eligibility, showed some real promise at West Virginia this past season. Was was a backup coming in, you know, developing some. His snaps were a little bit sporadic, but when he was able to get consistent playing time, he showed some real promise. Um, about six foot four, 280 pounds or so. And coming off an official visit to Florida State where they were able to secure this commitment. So he's someone that's going to come in. Still two years of eligibility remaining, so the hope is for State continue to develop him in the right direction. He not only makes an impact in 2024, but also in multiple seasons for the Seminoles. Then you go over to Sione. He's a graduate transfer, a more proven option from Oregon State, over a 1,000 snaps in his career, um, a real veteran who's played a lot of football out there in the Pac-12 for the Beavers about six foot three, 256 pounds, second team all pack 12 this past season. And he also was recently in Tallahassee for an official visit, has a little bit of a connection with Derek Ray. You know, we all remember Derek Ray uh, worked at Oregon State before coming to FSU. So some of those connections paying off here. And he was also a teammate of DJU, who we publicly saw recruiting Sione once he entered the portal. So for Florida State to get these two guys, um, really starting to rebuild that defensive end room. You know, if Jared Verse make a move to the NFL, look, didn't look like Florida State had a lot of talent or experience. You know, Verse moving on, Gilbert hitting the transfer portal, but now FSU finding some reinforcements and that defensive end room starting to look a lot better when you start to move into the spring. This defensive line is looking a lot more exciting than it was two weeks ago. You've got some depth, you've got some experience, you know, especially that edge room with with the with these guys and Marvin Jones Jr. coming in. Yep. You're going to have a huge rotation of guys that can just come in and give you quality snaps. You can go two, three deep, and you're going to get quality play. There's not going to be a huge drop-off. I think that's huge for, for Coach JP and Coach Fuller in this defense. There's there's going to be some exciting stunts, guys going inside out. It's going to be extremely versatile. I'm really looking forward to this defense. And, you know, they're still going after Michigan State transfer Zion Young. If you could bring him in, I mean, just depth all over the place on that on that defensive front. You've got Patrick Payton, you've got Byron Turner, Lamont Green Jr. There's still some hope there that he can continue to develop in the right direction. So um, suddenly, you know, two or three weeks later, Florida State has now flipped this narrative back on its head that the Seminoles aren't having success in the transfer portal. I think Mike Norvell is hungry. I think he's hungry, man. I haven't seen multiple subtweets like this from Mike Norvell in, yeah. in a very long time. I mean, he's throwing some subtweets out there for everybody. And just thinking of Mike Norvell, he's highly competitive. And we see it behind the scenes a lot more, too. But uh, this guy's focused. And I think, too, as fans and even us covering the team, expect definitely a lower uh, expectation and where this team can go into 2024 compared to this last season just because of the experience that came back. This last year's squad and Jordan Travis being a big one there, but and J and Jared Burst, but you know, 
there's a couple puzzle pieces here, gentlemen. Just a couple little pieces here that you could put yourself in where you can be in that top two of the ACC and reach that ACC championship for a second consecutive year. And that's how it should be at Florida State. This is how Mike Norvell wants it to be on a regular basis. And in order to do that, you've got to make some moves like this and definitely in some areas that were needed and for sure. I think it's clear Florida State not planning to take a step back at all. You know, there's some, there's still some veteran talent across this roster, some younger players that maybe haven't yet proved it on the field, but have a lot of potential to step into big roles. And now Florida State also supplementing some of this inexperience and lack of depth at certain positions with these guys in the transfer portal. Now, some of them who we'll get to, you know, Earl Little Jr., Jalen Brown, maybe haven't played a ton yet at the college level, but there's a ton of talent with these guys coming in. And, you know, you look at this 2024 roster now, and I think you've got to be excited at multiple positions with not only what Florida State has coming back, but also with what they've added in. And, you know, there are still some guys to come. I think there's, I think it's been that mindset after the playoff snub. I think everyone's kind of expected Florida State to take back, and maybe even Norvell was, you know, take a rebuilding year, let the young guys grow a little bit, have a great 25 and 26. He saw that snub, and now he's going to be out for blood for, for 2024. He's, not going to show any mercy. There's not going to be any of the Louisville and Florida games where there's a chance to score at the end and he decides not to. I, I think he's going to be seeing red all season. And it, it's been started in the transfer portal with some of these guys he's getting. He doesn't want depth to hurt them at all. He wants these guys to come in and, and battle their ass off and get some wins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, let's talk about Earl Little Jr., someone I'm really excited about too. And also Jalen Brown. Uh, for I mean, There's so much speed coming, and I know it's in the title of our YouTube video, but let's just try to go for a few names here. But Erlittle Jr. coming from Alabama, a place where that place churns out first round, second round, third rounds, you know, talent of cornerbacks and something Florida State. You know, we'll see how it goes for Renardo Green, Jarian Jones, too, but starting to kind of get back into that realm of putting some DBs out there into the league. Erlittle Jr., Coach Sertan, a lot of these recruits and now transfers are really buying into what Coach Sertan is doing. This man is carrying the recruiting room in Tallahassee. He is doing a phenomenal job of getting getting these guys here, but you can see uh, the developmental stages of some of these youngsters like we've seen with Conrad Hussey and Quindarius Jones. So that, that unit, that defensive side of the ball feels very high on those two youngsters, and that says a lot for the development in just a short period of time. But Erlittle Jr., welcome to Florida State. Well, not only that, but this is a reunion since uh, Coach Sertan coached um, Earl Little Jr. in high school, actually, and, you know, was part of the reason that he developed into a top recruit. So now the hope is with him, you know, playing sparingly at Alabama these last few years, fighting some injuries in the process, and Alabama obviously having a lot of talent on that roster. Now coming to Florida State, getting back under the coaching of Coach Sertan, that he'll continue to um, take steps in his development and really start to blossom into that elite prospect that he was coming out of high school. Um, I think he's going to be someone that could p- potentially be special at Florida State. I mean, this was a guy who was coveted in the recruiting process and has a lot of talent. I think he's going to step into an immediate role in this defensive backfield, someone that brings some real physicality and competitive instincts to that defensive backfield that's already very competitive. Just just a ton of versatility. I think he's going to fit best in the slot and could challenge Greedy Vance right away for that starting nickel role. And with his size and his speed, he's he's going to be a huge piece for this defense and maybe in a guy that can flex back to safety if, if needed because we've talked about these last couple of weeks how safety's, the safety depth is kind of an issue. He can help with that. 
jump over to Jalen Brown, someone that we covered heavily in his recruitment because Florida State did such a good job and and staying close there at the very end. But was LSU transfer some extreme speed? We would see it definitely in Doak when he'd come and compete as a recruit. But, you know, Mike Norvell's offense just continues to get faster. And there's a few other guys, too, we're about to mention here. But Florida State kind of going in a different direction than what they had in the last previous squad. Just having these towering guys, bigger guys on the outside. You're still bringing back Kentron. You're still bringing back Darion. But there's some serious, serious speed to add to this offense. And it will really match well, too, with DJ, as you saw a little bit, too, and during his time at Oregon State, how he can take advantage of it going downfield. But, uh, yeah, Jalen Brown, he's an old. This is another guy who Florida State is extremely familiar with. Um, recruited the heck out of Jalen Brown while he was in high school. And, you know, for, he grew up with Florida State as his dream school and was on campus multiple times, but eventually decided to sign with LSU and now one year later you know with him hitting the transfer portal he's built those long-term relationships with FSU he's from the state of Florida so it was just a natural fit to for him to come to Tallahassee and you know we'll get to it later on in the show I'm sure but with Goldie Lawrence moving on from Florida State transferring to UCF right before the window closed essentially Jalen Brown's coming in and slotting into that spot for the 2023 class and you know being now a part of that wide receiver core um, with Hakeem Williams and Vandravius Jacobs. Didn't play a ton at, at LSU, kind of similar to Earl Little at Alabama, but, man, a ton of potential. Like Logan said 50 times, speed, 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 very fast guy. think he's going to be an outside receiver for Florida State, someone who's going to be an instant deep threat when he gets to Tallahassee. And, you know, we've seen what Ron Dugans has been able to do the last couple of years with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman and some of these other guys. And, you know, you got, you're going to think um, – Jalen Brown's going to come right in on that same developmental track and make some progress here at FSU. I mean, we could just group him and Malik Benson together. Honestly, the transfer from Alabama started as a Juco, but they're just two super fast players on the outside. And, you know, the Johnny Wilsons and the Keon Coleman's don't grow on trees. You're not going to find six, seven receivers with insane catch radiuses or radii, whatever the correct term for that is. And you're not going to find the Keon Coleman's that are freak athletes at six foot four and can return punts for you with, Four four speed. Those just don't grow on trees, and you have to find other ways around them. Like like Logan said, finding these guys that are just super fast to to pair with DJU's big arm, it's a it's a match made in heaven. I I think it's going to be really good, and I, and it's something we really haven't seen from Florida State's offense. Obviously, Norville wants to take those deep shots, but maybe Travis didn't always have the arm for it. DJ absolutely has the arm for it. It's gonna you're gonna see deep shots, what ten times a game at least. You have to with these receivers. I want to talk about a guy that I'm really excited about. We kind of we talked about Malik Benson there. Kind of. Not really. Kind of talked about him. We'll tie him into the speed. This episode's all about speed anyways. So uh, this is Jalen Lucas. Uh, transfer. Oh, more speed. Yep, more speed. Speed here. I mean, we're not doing speed. Uh, Florida State offense is going to be doing speed. We need some more synonyms here. Like he's fast, he's explosive. quick, twitchy, twitchy, he's swift. Yeah, explosive. He's got I a mean, burst. Goodness gracious, that poor guy just got left. Let me go back to that right there. Poor guy. They let them film this right here. You going to get our YouTube channel banned again with this? Goodness gracious. Probably. I don't think this is a broadcast, but who knows? 
who knows? But the, the, this kid is super fun. That I'm just wondering. It's like one of those guys where I thought about what Jaheim Bell and Mike Norvell's offense. I, I just think of Mike Norvell, and he just watches this this kind of tape and just salivates on what he could probably add in this offense. This just seems like a perfect fit for Jalen Lucas and Mike Norvell. Different builds, different builds. You know, Jaheim Bell more of 6'4", 240, yeah. and Jalen Lucas more of 5'9", you know, 180, 190-ish or so. But a lot to like about him. Um, extremely athletic, a playmaker. You know, you look at what he was able to do at Indiana, three kickoff return touchdowns in his two years, had two during his first year with the program and Florida state, they covet what they do on special teams had that first kick return touchdown since the national championship in 2023 with Deuce span getting loose um, against Duke. So I think with him coming in, he's going to instantly play a big role on that kickoff return team. Um, not as experienced when it comes to returning punts, but you got to imagine he's going to be in the competition for that job as well. And then it seems like, you know, based on what he was telling us after he committed um, following his visit to Tallahassee, Forsyth going to kind of use him all over the field, going to get some looks in the backfield, going to come out in the slot and play some wide receiver. So kind of how we've seen Florida State use uh, Lawrence Toa Philly a little bit. But, you know, a, a smaller guy, I think Florida State's going to use him in different spurts and try and really put him in the right positions. But I think you've got to like uh, the di- the dynamic that he brings to this offense with the, the other playmakers, at, you know, in that backfield as well, but also out wide. Uh, real quick, Deuce's kick return was not the first since the national championship. It was Trey Benson last year against BC. Um, mm, but yeah, ho- hopefully he can return That's punts. That's messed up. You already fought, forgot about Trey Benson. I know it's crazy, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully he can return punts. That's something Florida State's going to need on this roster with with Keon going out. Obviously, you have his brother Jukai back there to to battle for that spot. But it also makes you wonder what Deuce Spans' role, or even if he's going to be on this roster next year, because it's another guy that can return kicks. And you know, there's you only need so many guys if that can he runs and quick and hits the hole. Yeah, I'll be returning. Maybe it was yeah. the longest return, but there was some there was some kind of stat I don't remember. We wrote about it. He's still, yeah. Do span. There's things that I want would like to see him work on, and practically year, I guess two going in 2024 where he's actually having the full time kick return spot. But I mean that it wasn't pretty. Well, this is it. This is it for um, He's a redshirt senior now, and now Florida State, a lot of competition coming in in that receiver room, in the return room as well. So we're going to see this spring what he's really made of, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then we're missing we're missing a few here. Yeah, we are. We're missing. You've got Colorado State boy. defensive tackle, Grady Kelly. Yep. Grady. More depth, just more depth on that defensive line that can rotate in. You, you always need a defensive lineman with a mullet. I feel like that's necessary in the South, so good fit. Yeah, a lot of people on my Twitter were saying they think he's Polynesian. I, I don't think Grady <laughs> Kelly's Polynesian. No, he's not. He's from Florida. <laughs> he's from. He went Jeez. to Navarre High School. So yeah, I don't I think, think he's Polynesian, but um, he was someone had some productive years at Colorado State, and I think you've got to look at him as you know not someone that's coming in to start in 2024 for FSU. But you look at this defensive tackle rotation. You know, we talked to Braden Fist for 30 minutes tonight. He's moving on to the NFL. Fabian Lovett is moving on to the NFL. Malcolm Ray, we saw transfer to Rutgers here 
over the weekend. Iobami Tafase has previously transferred to Georgia Tech. So FSU, they need some more bodies in that defensive tackle room. And you're bringing in a guy in Grady Kelly who can instantly battle for a spot in the rotation, has multiple years of eligibility remaining, and has some has some upside that Florida State's hoping to tap into. That's some outgoing guys, too, as well. There's been a few announcements. We're not but... done yet. We still got Devontae Brown, Miami defensive back. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I would never miss Devontae Brown. I would have never missed him and moved on from this segment. But, um, yes, Devontae Brown is going to come join Florida State's defensive back room. It seems like he's going to be a safety because he he's not an outside corner like Miami tried to, tried to play him as last year. He's he, He'll be better over the top. And another guy that's got a certain connection played for him in high yep. school. Sure, why not? Get some experience back there. They needed it. Yeah, this one, you know, only one year of eligibility remaining. And I think Florida State sees the upside based on what he was able to do during his three years at UCF and are hoping that if they can use him differently than Miami, that he'll have kind of a resurgence here in Tallahassee. I don't think he's someone necessarily that's going to start for FSU in that back end. I think Shaheen Brown and Comrade Hussey are likely going to be your starting safeties. But, you know, you needed some more experience. You needed a depth piece back there to get into the rotation when guys get banged up. We saw how the play kind of dropped off at certain points this season when, you know, Akeem Dent was banged up and, you know, one one year type of deal and that scholarship expires in December. And I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but with the Oregon State transfer today, I'm, I'm not trying to say his name. I, I just haven't gotten there yet. Sione Lolo Heya. I, I, sure. I think that puts Florida State at 85 scholarships. It's going to be interesting to see who transfers out after the spring, if there's any more moves to come. They might even be over now at 86. I'm, I'll have to go through the numbers again, but this is something that's fluid. You know, Throughout the offseason, teams can be over that 85 limit, and I definitely think there's some more guys <clears throat> on Florida State's roster that are going to move on following uh, spring practice. And Florida I don't have State, sorry. Wow, um, Florida State still active yeah. in that transfer portal yeah. at multiple spots. Seems like they're interested in maybe getting two more offensive linemen, um, a running back. You know, we've talked about there's still a need at linebacker. Austin mentioned earlier, still pursue, pursuing uh, Michigan State defensive end transfer. Zion Young. So FSU is still looking to make some additions. Right now, it seems like it could be potentially five to six more. Um, so, you know, we'll see how things progress throughout the spring. There are definitely some positions on the roster that are overinflated. You've got 14 scholarship wide receivers, uh, I think 11 or 12 cornerbacks. So um, the numbers will work themselves out. Yeah, 12 corners and then you could technically make a 13 if you want to make Devontae Brown a corner because he, he might play some third, fourth nickel corner. But, yeah, it's just way overinflated, like you said, at certain spots. And hopefully they can add – Sorry. Go ahead. I said hopefully they can add an experienced offensive lineman just to add into that rotation. Obviously, then after that guy from Alabama whose name I literally lost as I was going to talk about it. Terrence Ferguson. I think that would be a great add. And, you know, with with Nick Saban retiring, and maybe there's some more guys yet to be named that are going to enter the portal that Florida State's absolutely going to want because it's Alabama. But also, I think they're at either eight or nine scholarship defensive ends right now. So could potentially see a couple of those guys who are further down the depth chart, you know, maybe transfer after the spring. Yeah, they are at nine. It, I think the couple of names to watch there maybe be 
Jaden Jones and Aaron Hester, who obviously have come in recently, but but just haven't been able to see the field yet. Obviously, Jaden Jones, he was the one that tore his ACL on JUCO, right? Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can work in the rotation this next season. But either way, that's it's definitely a crowded field for sure. I'd still like to see Hester move over to linebacker. Maybe they just really don't see him there and to be a fit there. But that'd be something to monitor going into the spring if Hester does end up hanging around. I just don't see where he's going to get in front of a few of these guys, three guys right now that he would have to compete with in order to get playing time, which he hasn't had yet since being in Tallahassee. So interesting to see if they would ever do that. But Randy Shannon, we don't think the same. So uh, we'll we'll see what ends up happening there. But there's a handful of guys, though, that have announced that they're coming back and, you know, the battle's in. Two handfuls. I guess uh, easy. Like a a handful, like a big handful. Big? Like big hand. Like like you're gripping it big. Um, Azure Thomas is going to be returning. That's big, big there for the cornerback room. He's also moving to number eight, Loco Ocho, baby. Got another Loco Ocho back there. Love it. Yep. And I, I need to start seeing the Timmy J Loco Ocho. I need a big play to be made and I need to see the Loco Ocho come back. So if AZ, can you do that? That'd be great. But yeah, he's going to come back. He's wearing number eight. Kentron Poitier is coming back too for another season. He's going to be, seems like he's wearing number one too. So intrigued by uh, seeing him rock that to Kentron. I, ho- someone. I hope he can stay healthy because he's had flashes mm-hmm. of brilliance, like in the Wake Forest game with that one play that was called back. And obviously in the Orange Bowl, he made some really impressive catches. So hopefully he can stay healthy this next season. Mm-hmm. It's what it's going to yeah. take. And we saw what he did during the spring was arguably Florida State's most impressive wide receiver out there and someone who made a, who took a tremendous step forward during those couple of weeks. And, you know, it was unfortunate that he had that injury that kind of set him back there to start fall camp and then throughout most of the season – but like you said, Austin, as he started to get healthy down the stretch, once again, you see some of that vast potential. You mentioned the Wake Forest game, the big kit, the big catch um, in the Orange Bowl. He's someone who's supremely talented, and there's some serious potential there. Same thing with uh, Darion Williamson, who has been missed a ton of time with injuries throughout his career. If these guys can just stay healthy, I think the sky's the limit for both of them. Another name, too, Elmar Graham Jr. We were talking about him earlier in the show. Uh, but want to have that help in the linebacker room for sure. So hopefully a good, nice, healthy, and speedy recovery for him. Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, I think. I was just thinking about him earlier today, but that's a great – What were you thinking about him? You want to know when I was thinking about him? It's going to be really weird. I hope Ryan you're going to say the shower, aren't you? Man, I always shower before I get on the show, <laughs> man, and I think about, I guess, football players. Thinking about their Ray, weight? Thinking about Ray their size? I have major regret about coming on here. <laughs> here, but I thought about Braden. I thought about our. Oh my god! Really odd, really, really odd. But um, yeah, I thought about Ryan Fitzgerald in the shower because not I the answer me. I it thought I would get. Yeah, sorry, I'm very sorry. It wasn't on the walk I was on either. It was about in the shower. So Ryan, I was thinking about you in the shower. Man made a ton of kicks this year. Uh, extreme was really consistent. The guy that put up a ton of points too, and Florida State need him as well. But you know, Ryan Fitzgerald, I think, is someone that you can't overlook on coming back along with uh, Master Mono. That's uh, two of your starting specialists coming back. And Alex last year, too, was excellent as well. So you're, you're two specialists in which Florida State takes a big um, big heaping on what they like to do as a program. Their special teams is, is loaded coming back, at least in their specialist uh, kicking room. 
I think it's huge to have two guys that are experienced as them. You know, we thought that there was a chance Alex Mastromano could move on. He was someone who was uh, added late to the senior day festivities and honored in Dope Campbell Stadium there before the game against North Alabama. But, you know, to get him back, someone who's been one of the best punters in college football for the last couple of years, not sure how much more he can improve. But, I mean, if he can just keep bringing what he's been bringing, that'll be good for FSU. And then Ryan Fitzgerald, man, to see him – overcome that adversity, really bounce back this past season and, you know, make those kicks in the AC championship game uh, against Louisville when Florida State needed them. And then some really other massive kicks throughout the campaign. Didn't miss a single extra point. Um, this is one of the most experienced kicking units that Florida State has had returning to Tallahassee in a long time. I'd be interested to stack up the numbers compared to previous seasons, but got to feel really confident about this special teams unit going into 2024. It was already a great unit this last year, and just keeping that continuity there is only going to help. And you get a guy, you get a guy coming in with Jake Weinberg who can learn from Fitzgerald and, and see kind of what he does at the college level to to get ready for his time in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I want to mention too, because Ia Holmes, I don't think we have been able to talk about him, but he's returning to Florida State as well. Had an announcement with the battles in, but. Uh, really excited to see more of Holmes, to be honest. And then also Keith Sampson, Darren Williamson as well, too, which we were talking about earlier, kind of maybe a little bit of a su- surprise potentially. You know, would he come back? Would he not? He ends up coming back to Ron, Ron Dugan's uh, wide receiver room. Uh, Keith Sampson going back, not not much of a shocker there. And then also Quindarius Jones, not much of a shocker there as well, but really highlighted with. Darren Williamson and Keziah Holmes to finish this list off. Well, you're you're missing missing a big one. Jeremiah Byers. Starting right tackle. Greatest of all. Ready. Get the alerts. Yeah, get the alerts out. Make sure breaking news ESPN. But yeah, Jeremiah Byers. Uh I guess weren't we were we talking about him last week? No, he just announced uh, it was either but yesterday like, or Monday. Not like announced, but I'm talking about like, were we talking about will he come back, will he not? And we were like, well, will he go leave, maybe. will he not? Would he move on? But, um, yeah, that's good. That's big. That's a big that's one. You know, with the, the previous announcements of Forest they have with all the offensive line coming back, now you, you add Jeremiah Byers to that group. So you got five guys coming back who played a ton of football for FSU last year. And then you got Julian Armella and Jalen Early, some of these transfers that FSU is evaluating. And it's looking like a pretty solid line uh, shaping up for 2024 to protect uh, DJU. And also Kaiseya Holmes, who, you know, didn't play a ton for Florida State this season. I think I think he only had 29 carries while contributing in that rotation behind Trey Benson, Lawrence Toafili, and Rodney Hill. But someone that has a lot of experience at the college level with his time at Penn State and then now – the last two years at FSU and going into this next season, you know, you've got some young guys in that backfield. So to have an option like Kaiseya Holmes and also Lawrence Toa Philly, and, you know, we'll see if Florida State adds a running back, another running back out of this transfer portal to kind of pair there with Jalen Lucas in that bunch as well. But, you know, FSU has some experience there at the top end, and then we'll see throughout the year, you know, if Cam Davis and Samuel Singleton, Makai Danzi are able to break their way and, and start getting carries as well. There's a lot to be excited about with that room going Always. into camp. Yep. Never lets down with 
with that room since Mike Norvell has arrived, what he's been able to do, what he was able to do throughout his career. Um, but that room never disappoints and some excitement to watch in the spring. And it's going to be highly competitive as well for playing time. Uh, I think we're almost done. We're almost to basketball time, but I was going to bring up something that we put out an article about, but uh, ESPN insider Pete Thamel put out some target names that Alabama might be interested in after Nick Saban's retirement announcement just happened just a few minutes ago, actually, but broke a few hours ago that the best ever to it with Nick Saban was retiring from Alabama. Um, just unbelievable run and something we may not ever see again in our lifetime. But Pete Thamel listing Mike Norvell as a quick projected target list along with Dan Lanning, Kalen De- uh, DeBoer, Dabo Sweeney, James Franklin, uh, and Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame. But uh, it, it's Alabama. Yeah, that's, it's the time of year. It's that time of year. But then, it, but I, but more importantly, what I'm looking at this as is that Mike Norvell is a really highly respected college football head coach. He, he's now in, he's reached those ranks uh, as someone that's uh, very highly respected and what not only as maybe as a coach too, but building a program that, you know, you look at Derek Ray, a lot of this other staff members that Mike Norvell has built uh, with, with Alford, Florida State's AD, bringing on a lot of those off-field staff members. There's a lot of things that go on the outside other than just on field that they're building, at least as a program at Florida State. And that's intriguing for a lot of these top tier programs that are looking to bring in a head coach of Mike Norvell's magnitude. It's it's Alabama and Europe. Probably going to have the Michigan job open up here soon with Harbaugh likely going to the NFL. I mean, those are two of the five most historic jobs or two of the most historic programs in college football. They're going to ask around for all the big names. They're going to be throwing blank checks at everybody. To, to me, I think Alabama tries to make Kirby Smart tell them no first and then see where they stand after that. But, you know, like you just said, it's it's a, it's a compliment to what Norvell has done in just four years at Florida State and where he's going to continue to take this program. And he's likely going to get a very big raise for Alabama likely coming calling here because that's just what happens in the coaches' circles. Big job opens. Coaches say, hey, look who just came calling, and they get a little extra money in their pocket. And at least with Thamel's tweet, I think all of those guys are Jimmy Sexton clients. So <laughs> it's no it's no Wait. shock to me that five minutes after Nick Saban retires, bang, you've got all these guys get pushed out there for the job. Um, as you said, Austin, I think Mike Norvell, he's in line for a very serious race here. Already got one last year that, you know, got, has got him tied to Florida state through the 2029 season, paying out an average of, uh, eight Oh five million per year. And I think after a 13 and one season where he delivered the first ACC championship in nine years and really just continued to show the progress that he's making in Tallahassee, that, you know, there's an argument obviously an argument that he deserves even more money um, coming his way. And whenever these kind of coaching things happen, we saw it earlier this year, actually, back in November, whenever Jimbo Fisher was fired for Texas A&M and Mike Norvell instantly started popping up on some of these lists. And, you know, he kind of he didn't publicly deny the interest, but he talked about how much he cares about being at Florida State and that he can't control when types of these types of rumors are put out there and things like that. It was a lot more committal than, you know, what we heard Jimbo Fisher talk about before he decided to leave FSU. Every scenario is different. I know, you know, there might be some PTSD from the fan base, but 
Mike Norvell has rebuilt Florida State, has them trending in the right direction, and he loves what he's doing in Tallahassee, loves the guys that he's around, and, and I don't think that there's a huge worry about him potentially leaving for another job. Although I will say, I think they reported his buyout's only $4 million. I'd expect that language in the contract to change very shortly, whether that's with the Rays or yeah. anything else. Because a lot of these other coaches have, you know, $20, 30000000 million buyouts if they leave for another school. I think they need to raise that buyout from Norvell to a little bit higher from $4 million. We'll have to request the contract and check out the language on that because that seemed a little bit off that it was yeah. only $4 million. But, you know, I think Florida State's also in a position where if someone does come in with a competitive offer that they can make a – competitive reoffer to Norvell as well. It would take something serious for FSU to let him walk away with what we've seen the last couple of years and you know how he's committed to this program since he got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in comparison, that's what uh, Pete Thamel put out. But Dan Lanning, $20 million. Kalen DeBoer, $12 million. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, $7.5 million. And then James Franklin, $6 million in regards to buyouts there. But uh, yeah, Mike Norvell's going to have a nice little raise here soon, uh, knowing Michael Alford for sure. Those guys are two hand-in-hand, and Alford believes a ton in what Mike Norvell is doing, and as he should. We, we've seen it as a result here, and uh, as we go into a in, really intriguing 2024 season, that's where I'm at mentally at the moment. Uh, speaking of mentally in at the moment, as me with Forest State basketball, definitely not back. But they're on a three-game winning streak, though. BZ, they're they just got done. in 2024. As far as I'm there's, concerned, there's 2023, the we need. 2023 never happened for basketball, as far as I'm concerned. Mm, that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. But, no, three-game winning streak, beating Georgia Tech, beating Virginia Tech, and then also beating a, a really good Wake Forest team, 11-4 and four on the season. But, VZ. Thoughts on this? Are things changing, or is FSU getting lucky? What do you think it is more of? I was last night. I was browsing Wake Forest message boards because to me, there's nothing funnier than angry old Wake Forest fans, um, and just listening to see or seeing how much they hate Florida State because they can never beat us in anything. Um, Florida State plays so differently than everybody else in the ACC with their with their length, their athleticism, and their just overall chaos that they cause defensively, that it's so much harder to prepare for in conference play than it is non-conference where you have to prepare game to game. In the ACC, you really just kind of prepare your team overall for the entirety of conference play. You know, I've been in some of those practices. Obviously, you focus on things here and there, but this is kind of what Florida State does defensively is kind of the modern-day prime Syracuse 2-3 zone. Just they do it the complete opposite way with – Full court pressure. I mean, Baba Miller is guarding Kevin Miller, who's an entire foot shorter than him and locking him down at times. And it just creates so many turnovers and so many live ball situations that you really have to be on your P's and Q's and dots your eyes across your T's throughout the entirety of the game. You can't do what Wake Forest did and turn it over 20 times. And that's not the norm for Wake Forest basketball. They came into the game, turning it over just 10 times per game. Florida State forcing them into 20 was by far their largest of the season. It's just such a unique defense to prepare for. And when Florida State's hitting shots like they were last night, it does become a tough team to beat. They have a they still have a lot to figure out. I'm not saying they're a good basketball team yet, but they're not as much of a train wreck as they were the season before. 
and they're starting to figure some things out as they get healthier, as they get more comfortable playing with each other. You know, the, the starting lineup last night of Darren Green Jr., Jalen Worley, Baba Miller, Jameer Watkins, and Deontay Green were all plus 10 or better. You know, they really did a good job against Wake starters, and that, that's a really good Wake Forest team. They came into the game having won nine straight with wins over Rutgers, Florida, Virginia Tech. They beat Virginia Tech by like 23, just absolutely smoked Damn. them. It's a good Wake Forest team, and, and it was a really impressive win last night. I was, it was, I don't want to say it was as impressive as the Colorado win earlier this year, but it definitely felt more monumental than the Colorado win, especially starting twenty twenty four off with three straight wins in conference play. I think it was better than the Colorado win when you're talking about the not only Wake Forest had won nine straight games. You know, we're deeper into the season at this point, and these teams have learned more about one each other or more about each other on the national stage. Um, Wake Forest, one of the top teams in the ACC right now. For Florida State to come out and get this win, and it was a tough win, you know, where they had to fight back from adversity, built two double-digit leads, lost them both, and were still able to compose themselves enough down the stretch to not let it choke away like we saw against Georgia and North Carolina earlier in the year. I thought that was a sign of growth and just the way that they harassed Wake Forest on defense. It got to a point where the Demon Deacons were just so out of sorts. They were just throwing – the ball away and like you said yeah it was it was bad but like you said whenever fsu is executing good enough in the half court when they're hitting some of these timely threes it just changes the whole perspective of florida state basketball and i thought you could really see the confidence shine through last night it was a it was a very big win they also they're also running more post plays than they have really all season i mean they started the game off trying to get a post touch for jalen worley on on Booby Miller, who like Booby Miller is six foot, Jalen Worley is six foot seven. He could take that, take advantage of that matchup. Didn't end up doing it, but it became a theme throughout the game between touches for Worley, touches for Baba Miller. Uh, Cam Corn got a few touches. Jalen Ganey got a couple. Deontay Green got a couple. They obviously saw something there, and whether that was just what they're trying to do going forward or just what they saw in this matchup, it was a really great idea, and it forced Wake Forest to kind of overthink defensively. And allow Florida State to shoot seven of thirteen from three. They're not going to do that every game, but they're showing glimpses that they can be a decent basketball team. And that's at this point, that's all I'm asking for. Just give me some hope. Give me some life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it last night, especially the the first ten minutes of the game last night, was the most fun I've had watching Florida State basketball in years. I mean, they're just creating chaos. They were correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was twenty-seven to seventeen. Yeah within like five or six minutes, just hitting every shot, forced five or six turnovers. It's exactly what you want out of Florida State basketball. They just got to learn to close games and have that killer mindset. That's going to come. You know, that's not going to happen automatically from a team that won nine games last year. 30 at nine wins this year, and it's January 9th. Or it was January 9th yesterday, you know what I'm saying. But they're making progress. Again, I'm not saying they're a good basketball team, but they're getting there. That's all I want. Just get somewhere. They're better than they were, and, and they're making some impressive plays. You even tweeted about this one, but Darren Green Jr. in that first half, getting the oh steal and then going down on the fast break with the pull-up three and just nailing it. I mean, impressive to see a guy who came in not known for his defense and now playing under Leonard Hamilton these past two years. The strides that he's making on that side of the ball are tremendous. He had five steals last night. I mean, like I said, there's none more – impressive than that play gets in the passing lane swats the ball into the backcourt hustles it down gets it takes two dribbles and takes a contested three and absolutely drains it on the right wing in front of Wake Forest bench 
that's my favorite Florida State play in years. Because especially from a guy like him who's, like you said, he's not known for his defense or really his hustle. I mean, he was hustling in transition like I've never seen before out of him. I thought yesterday was his best game in a Florida State uniform. I'm not saying he scored the most points, but just his overall impact was super impressive. When the guys are hustling and trying like that, especially from a fifth-year senior, it's going to spread to the rest of the team very quickly, and it did. Guys went all out, and they, they cared, and they were diving on the floor for loose balls. Jameer Watkins was creating chaos like he always does. Watkins had nine assists, by the way, last night, which stunned me. Baba Miller had his best game in a Florida mm-hmm. State uniform with 14 points, three rebounds, and three blocks. He's learning to be a little bit more useful with his length around the rim. The guys are starting to come together a little bit, and you know, as they finally get away from home for the first time in a month this weekend, you, you're going to learn a little bit more about this basketball team. You play Notre Dame, who's not good. It's probably the least talented team in the ACC on Saturday, but they're definitely a better coach than some of the other teams in the ACC, and they've been tough at home. Duke, They gave Duke a tough battle. They gave NC State a tough battle, both of which are two of the better teams in the conference. And then next Wednesday, we, we may have to move the podcast up a little bit, so I don't miss this one. It's the first matchup against Benedict Arnold in Miami. Um, that those, those next four games after Notre Dame where it's Miami, Syracuse, Carolina, and Clemson. Clemson. That's going to be a tough four-game stretch. And if you want to throw that road game against Notre Dame, Florida State finds a way to go three and two in those five games. I consider that a massive, massive success because I still think Clemson's one of the two, two best teams in the conference. Obviously, we've already played North Carolina. We know how good they are. Miami's talented, and, and Syracuse is Syracuse, even if they're in their first year after Jim Beheim. Still Syracuse. You're going to learn a lot about this team over the next couple of weeks. But I think this recent stretch, you know, it it gives you some reason for optimism with the way that these guys have settled in. I think it's been encouraging, you know, Darren Green Jr. continuing to have his shot. Jameer Watkins taking on that big role. I think the last couple of weeks, Primo Spears now has really settled in. It kind of felt like whenever he first got back in the lineup, he was forcing forcing, uh, shots a little bit, um, forcing his offense. But I think he's gotten – um, more into the mentality of this offense now and working with the flow of everything. And I look at the big guys, you know, you mentioned Baba Miller starting to find his stride settling in. I think Jalen Ganey is looking mm-hmm. more healthy than he I was agree. limping, limping a little around, uh, limping around some last night, but I think he's healthier than he was whenever he got back. And then Cam Corhan, I, man, I really love that kid. Corhan's awesome. And another guy I want to give some credit to is Chandler Jackson, who's really finding his stride from the mid range. He had a couple of big shots, in the second half last night just to establish some rhythm for Florida State. And I want to say, was, the, was it the Georgia Tech game? He scored like 10 or 11 points for a career high. I mean, he had a great game, and he's just another guy that can come off the bench and provide a scoring punch when they need it. And he's he's another guy who started the season out rough, struggling to find his spot, struggling to find his rhythm. I think he's found it these last few games, and hopefully he can continue it this weekend at Notre Dame because – South Bend is historically not a place Florida State's played well in. You know, they won in, obviously, the 1920 season, but even that took a Trent Forrest game winner. Outside of that, it's been a lot of struggle in South Bend, and even if it's not a very talented team, it's a very hard place to win. So if, if they could come away with one this Saturday, I think it'd be big for the rest of the season moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be covering that. Make sure you guys stay tuned to Austin's Twitter covering every game so far this season with us, and we'll continue to do it throughout the rest of the season. But uh, I want to shout out Braden Fisk coming on here to the episode this evening. Phenomenal interview. Knew it would be great, but really looking forward to covering him 
as he goes further into his career as we do a lot of coverage going into the league. So really excited about which which team, which coach end up picking him. Uh, it's going to be so much fun with that combine as well. Um, but yeah, he'll be competing, competing in that. I don't think that's been released, but so here you guys got that news. He'll be there in the combine with a handful, double handful, as you were saying, Dustin with a lot of Florida state Seminoles, uh, up there and Indy Napolis for that. So we'll be looking forward to covering that. And then, uh, pro day as well. And then, uh, be big time into that draft covering Braden. So appreciate him hopping on here with us. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll be back here live, maybe six, if we want to do it earlier before the FSU versus Miami game. We'll see what ends up happening. I'm always not against uh, going earlier. Makes it easier for me not to have to spend time here editing until 930. So I'm down for a little earlier action if we need to. But, uh, yeah, that should be hopefully if Florida State can get that win against Notre Dame. be a really intriguing game. I actually tune into that one. I've got my cat slinging down everything from the side, so that means that we can go and end off the show on the outside. Appreciate everybody listening. As always, you can listen to podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. If you're on YouTube right now, hit that like button before you leave. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in with us, and uh, we'll see you guys next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Peace.